lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Hey, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Mirlich. So this morning, I was like dad of the day. Dad of the day. Okay. I really thought you were going to stop. I'm like, so this morning I was a dead. And I was like, yeah, I kind of was tired too. (laughs) Dad of the day. Why? Dad dad of the day. Because I take Reed to school and today's, uh, this week is teacher appreciation week. So I take Reed first because Remy doesn't have to go until later and I take him. And when I get there, I forgot his present to give to his teacher. And I was like, well, okay, not that big of a deal. I'll just, when I drop Remy off in a few minutes, I'll take it to the office and they'll take it in there to him. So I get home, I get Remy together. I'm like, all right, let's go, kid. You got school in a few minutes. Let's get started. Uh, I grab her present and the present for Reed's teacher. And we get in the car and we drive. And I said, I'm going to park in this parking lot over here because that's going to allow me to walk by the front office Mm -hmm. and then drop you off. And then I'll drop off the present on the way back to the car. Easy. So we drive there and I totally drive by the office. I go to the same parking area in the back where she gets dropped off at just by habit. And I'm like, I do that too in the car. I'm just like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. So I was like, we're here. I'm parking. I'll just take the extra walk to the front office and walk back. Hopefully they don't lock the gate on me. And we get there. I'm like, all right, pull out your iPad because they have to they have to have their iPads out to show like this whole test thing that they didn't have COVID or have a fever or anything. It's a survey they fill out online. So I was like, pull out your iPad. So you could do that. And Remy goes, did you pack my iPad? I was like, no, you didn't pack your iPad. And then I instantly thought I didn't even do the survey for her. I left it on the counter. I said, don't worry about it. Go inside. I'll drop off your iPad with Reed's present when I come back. So then I drove all the ways home. I'm really, you said dad of the year. Yeah, I'm no, no, following yeah. this and like all it is, is you yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, it was the premise set up of me being a complete failure as a father today, at least for getting my kids ready for school. Like Reed is, the bell rings and we get there. So I would assume he's late. Like he's late every day almost. And uh, so I'm not really great at the drop off of the kids. I get them there. They go to school and they learn. But I do kind of drop the ball in a few areas. But today was just utter chaos. Like I just completely dropped the ball. Oh, I was still waiting for you to turn it around. No, the story goes nowhere good. It just, I end up coming back home. And then all part of this was I had to get gas in the car too. So I was going to drop off the kids, go get gas at Costco. And then come back home and get started with my day. And I was like, just seeing if I could just get started on everything early. I could get a lot of stuff done. And we got a lot of things this weekend. So, like, I'm going to try to get a lot of stuff done. And that pushed me back, like, at least 45 minutes to an hour. So, yeah, just basically a failure of a dad today. Eventually, they got their iPad in the present, but just took longer. So that was my day. I thought I'd start off by talking about how I did, because usually I'm asking you, like, a pop question that comes out of nowhere. I'm sitting here trying to think of words of encouragement, but I'm also just thinking about the conversation we had before hopping on the podcast and just um, those words of not encouragement that you had for me. Um, it'll, it'll get better, Chris. It will. You'll, you'll get a handle on it. One day. Yeah, no, I guess just you didn't ask me how mine was, but I was just thinking about how last time you were asking me about like, oh yeah, how's things with the baby? And uh, I had a friend who this week 
wife went into labor like eight weeks early, just kind of a lot of weeks early. Mm-hmm. So a little premature and, you know, they were struggling through some different stuff. And I was just thinking about my response of like, yeah, he's just kind of a baby. He just is like a little newborn doing like not much of anything. But even within that, how much of a blessing that he is healthy and happy and can just hang out and we're not in the hospital, you know, going through a couple months of like preemie stuff and, and all that. So I was just really thinking about my response from last week and I've seemed really nonchalant. I know I tried to save it, but like they're, the Lyle and I are just really blessed when it comes to that little guy. He's fun. I got to hang out with him all morning and stuff. So yeah. Yeah, it's the fun stage. He still is a newborn doing not much of anything. He lays there. It's the time you think you should appreciate the most. They're not doing anything. They just lie there. They're not talking back. They're not running around. They're not creating a mess. No, see, I need at least the level of he can respond to me. Because when something's going on, I'm like, you're not understanding what I'm doing. I don't even know if you're looking at me. You're seeming like (laughs) Delilah and I were laughing. We both looked at each other one night. We're like... Do you think he might be blind? Because <laughs> sometimes he just like <laughs> full on, we're talking to them and he's just looking somewhere off into the corner of like, and that's just what he does all the time is like looking at something over there. Like, I don't know if he actually knows we exist. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Anyways. Speaking of Obadiah, good segue into this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, one thing I found interesting, and it clicked on me last episode when we were talking about Obadiah's name, meaning, meaning servant of God. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember what Joel's name meant exactly, but now I do. Joel's name is Yahweh is God. And it got me thinking. I was like, well, what does Timothy's name mean? So I went and looked it up, and Timothy's name is honoring God. And I really just thought it was fascinating that these three kind of like books that we've already gone through, and maybe we're not even going to like finish it off or they'll continue this theme. Yeah. But everything has this center point around God. I don't know why you're just bringing up Timothy's name. And I think it's in that one clip. <laughs> the key and peel. Timothy? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Timothy. Yeah. Honoring Timothy. God. Yeah. Honoring God. That's cool. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that as everything so far seems to be pointing towards this day of the Lord thing, that each person has this like thing of honoring God. Yahweh is God. Uh, I'm a servant of God. And even like we were like, maybe that's not even Obadiah's real name. That was just a moniker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Timothy is someone who honors, is honoring God. I don't know if any of the other books that we're going to cover touch on the same point. As of so far, they do. And I just thought it was really cool. But, but getting into it, last episode, we looked at who is Obadiah? When was the book of Obadiah written? Who are the Edomites? And what does the day of the Lord look like in Obadiah? And again, we kind of did really good at the first two questions. Who's Obadiah? I don't know. Uh, when was it written? Could be this time. Could be that time. And then and between what was it? 586 and 553? Yeah. It was kind of. But we did get into, we actually didn't know who the Edomites are. We had that cool long. <laughs> cool. We knew something. <laughs> we knew something. We finally had an answer to I feel like last week's study part was actually really cool. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we hit a good groove with that versus, I, I feel like it. I'm finally getting the groove of getting back into, is this our fifth season? Fourth. Fourth season. Yeah. Whatever we're doing. Yeah. Well, I think we take so many like breaks in between seasons and here and there. And there's been a few things that have kept us from recording like long gaps, like sickness or life that it takes a rhythm to get back into this kind of groove of it. So maybe we should next time just record a few episodes and scrap them. Or put them on that Patreon that we never start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last episode. All those things that we talk about. Sorry, real quick before we get going, you were talking about names. And I remember last time I brought up that uh, one of my middle names means servant of Jesus. I was like, hold on. What does Christopher mean? And I look it up 
and it means uh, to bear Christ. Did you know that that's what your name meant? I always thought it meant little Christ. Uh, Christophoros, meaning bearing Christ or to bear or carry Christ. No, I like that one better than little Christ. Yeah. There you go. There you go. We're in the mix with all these other guys, all these God names. <laughs> We're part of the prophets now. We're not. <laughs> Obadiah. This is a... There's a lot in this little book, this little chapter of a book. Yeah, 21 verses that are just jam-packed with so much stuff. I, I read this, and I thought it was pretty cool. It was from a commentary. It said, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It tells of Yahweh's judgment on Judah's neighbors, Edom, uh, that injustice does not go unrecognized by Yahweh. In the case of Edom, their injustice tormenting the people of Judah while Judah was being invaded by other nations meant their coming downfall. Obadiah also envisions that Judah itself will be restored. This theme of the coming day of Yahweh, when God will execute judgment and fulfill his promise, is common among the prophetic books, especially Joel and Amos. So I really thought, just looking at it, how it kind of touched on those things, and uh, that was a really cool quote that kind of summarized everything that we were looking at last week. But uh, to me, there's three main kind of themes in Obadiah. Pride is bad. Uh, you reap what you sow, and then eventually to loving your enemies. So we're going to have fun. Sorry, just when you brought up Amos as being one of the references, are we doing Amos on this? We are. All right, Famous cool. Amos. Yeah. Love his cookies. <laughs> yeah. Love his cookies and his prophecies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just because, yeah, Edom is brought up in Amos 1 as well, or at least in Amos 1. So I know that through looking, Edom and kind of the judgment comes up there. But yeah, what was the second one that you said? You will reap what you sow. I think reaping what you sow, but I would say that even the bigger thing beyond that is that, I don't know how to phrase it, but it's God sees what's done. Mm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. as far as like reaping what you sow, but it is a thing of like God sees everything that's done. And as we've talked several times, like vengeance belongs to him and, you know, he'll do what's right and he, it's his justice. And to just on that level as well of... God is in control and he will exact. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. What but you, I think reaping what you said was... What did you say again? I don't know. Oh, gosh, I don't have to go back. We'll get, we'll get back around to it. We'll get back around to it. But yeah, you want to start just maybe with the first one of those and start yeah, going through? Because that's kind of the order of the book. So Yeah, let's look at pride. And uh, to me, it was like verses two to three. It says, see, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in in the cliffs of the rocks and make your home the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring us down to the ground? And right there, it's just kind of talking about the pride of Edom, that they did live up in the cliffs. We talked about it last week. It was very hard for enemies to attack them. I, I instantly, because <laughs> again, it's Obadiah, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Yeah, and I have fighting. the high ground. I have the high ground. <laughs> you won't win. And then like Anakin jumps at him and he slices like his arm, his two legs off and he's laying there on the floor. But yeah, the, the high ground is good. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good tactic for when you're fighting the enemy. And here God is saying that has made you proud, like because of where you're at, that, that's lifted you up. And you stopped right before um, at the end of verse four. Even from there, I will bring you down, declares mm -hmm. the Lord. So yeah, really looking at pride and Man, we see it all throughout scripture is that God opposes the proud. And what's the rest of that verse? Gives grace to the humble? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, or in James when it talks about, hey, wash your hands, you filthy sinners, humble yourselves, and I'll lift you up. And just the pride and just like how much, man, that we, we end up like Edom in this situation. No, no one can touch me. I'm the greatest. Mm -hmm. I'm invincible. I'm doing all the greatest things. And obviously that comes along with like, man, when you step into that area of pride, 
we see how that played out for them is it look at how they were treating their neighbors around them yeah and yeah it was very self-glorifying mm-hmm. like I, i've i boast about myself i talk about all my accomplishments what i've done and uh from a christian standpoint from like a follower of christ the word my is so hard because like I would say that's my car and that's my house. But when I get to a real understanding of my relationship with God, it's like, that's God's. Mm-hmm. And that's God's. And you almost eliminate, like, isn't that part of the, like, die to yourself is eliminating the my, the me, the I from every aspect of your life. But it's still a hard battle to go through. And, and especially, I would say, for, like, someone like me, I am definitely more of the prideful person. Uh, I think I've shared it plenty of times here on the podcast and everywhere else in life, but like pride is a rooted tree in my life that I'm, I've got to take this thing out because, you know, we've seen already like with Nebuchadnezzar, what could happen when your pride gets in the way. I I like, I want to touch on this. uh, I I got a quote from Philip Yancey and it says, whatever makes us feel superior to others, whatever tempts us to convey a sense of superiority, that is the gravity of our sinful nature, not grace. And I just thought that was really cool. It was touching on what you're saying. Like, it's just the, the, our pride is almost like, it's not look at what I have and that I'm better than you. It's just that you don't have it mm-hmm. or that there's something that I accomplished that you didn't. And that's where our pride kind of seeps in. Yeah. Versus, and I want to say that this was from a skit that I saw with like Louis CK, but he did a little skit with one of his daughters or something. And he was like basically telling them, don't ever look in somebody else's bowl to see how much more you have than them mm-hmm. or, you know, to, to take that prideful thing, like you're saying but only to see if they have enough and if you can help them. You know, mm. kind of the pride is like, oh, I'm looking at what you have and look at how much greater that I am versus more of the humble way is just like, and the loving way is looking at others like, oh, I'm in a better position to help you mm. or, you know, whatever, or to pour out grace on you or however that looks. How you were saying like, oh, that's a deeply rooted thing in me. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's one of maybe, if you were to look at these three, it's like a third of the flesh, you know, it's just those things mm. that, I don't think it's just you. I think all of us struggle against the flesh and maybe one of those things is highlighted more, but pride is just one of those things that's tied in with the flesh. And we're well, how you said we're supposed to die to that thing so that the spirit can live. The spirit is humble. Jesus says, take me on as your teacher. I'm humble, right? So he teaches us how to be humble. I, I read this. I thought this was cool too. It said the Edomites' pride makes them oblivious to the truth that their allies are really their enemies. Also, that those who should be their friends brother and brothers have become their enemies. So, like, their pride clouded their judgment so much that they thought the Babylonians, as they raided Judah, were their allies. I don't know. Just reading through this, again, it's the thing. This actually happened, and we can mm-hmm. look at it historically. But when I'm trying to pull out those principles and look at it and just, like, what pride sets you up as and how you're saying even the people that you're around and how you're perceiving different things and... You know, I've looked at where I was and who I thought I was surrounded by. And man, I was the coolest guy. And like, look at all the stuff and all the whatever. And it's like, okay, you're a teenager. You're in your 20s. Like, you don't. Like, that's it's really (laughs) sad. It's really pathetic. But that's what pride does. It makes you seem, and I think that no matter where you're at, we can look at people who are billionaires or whatever. And the pride on that level, and it's just like, in God's eyes, it's the same thing to where he's looking down. It's really pathetic. It's almost like pride makes us feel invincible. Mm Mm-hmm. That the real principle behind this, if we're looking at it, is like, if you're prideful, God's going to bring you down. I mean, there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about that, that what is it, uh, the fall comes before, or pride comes before the fall. Mm -hmm. Like, if you get prideful, a fall is coming. And it's not, 
like that sounds just rough. Like that's such a harsh thing. Like why can't I just be proud about the things I've done? And the warning is just that the more you get a little bit more proud, a little bit more proud about this or that, is that eventually you start elevating yourself up. And the whole picture of the Edomites in the caves is that they were constantly looking down and they never looked up. And that's what I think is a perfect picture of pride is pride is always looking down and never looking upwards. And when you don't see that there's God above you or that God is there in controlling everything else, then you think, man, this is my life and I'm doing it my way and nothing's going to stop me. You bring a good point in the beginning, what you were just saying, though, about kind of the, what was it, that bad to be proud of myself? And I think that maybe to more clearly define what we're talking about, because, man, we can do cool things as humans and in our relationships with people and like great accomplishments that I think that in the sense of like being proud of what you've accomplished and doing something good, like if that's tied to a thankfulness to God. Yeah. You know what I mean? To just look at, man, I have the ability and the resources and the opportunity to do these things. Like, that's really cool. God, thank you for like this life and this opportunity. Like, you know what I mean? It's that looking up that you just mm -hmm. said. Like, you're able to look at what happened. And honestly, I don't care what it is. If you're getting better at a hobby or if you've, you know, excelled in school or work or whatever, or you've like just saved someone's life or whatever the thing is that like, I think to some of that pride is a good thing, mm -hmm. but it needs to keep that humility in with it. And I don't know if there's a different word than pride to describe what it is that I'm trying to describe, but I do think that it's not all bad. Like I've, we're not supposed to walk around like self-deprecating creatures that just, oh, I never do anything good. And I just want to make sure that like nothing, I'm not capable of anything good. It's like, no, you can do a lot of cool and great things. But when you realize where that's coming from, I think that that's the important part. Yeah, I liked how you started that off with the thankfulness. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a good way to defeat pride is being thankful. Uh, thankful to God, thankful to the people around you, just having gratitude. Because mm -hmm. gratitude removes a lot of you out of everything. It's, I'm thankful for this, you did that. I'm thankful for God for all the things that he's done. Thankful for the stuff he's given me. Uh, you ever play that game Trouble? I have, but I couldn't tell you anything so about trouble it. Trouble is basically like there's a bulb and there's a dice in there that has numbers. You click on it. It says a number. If you get a six, your your little pins can come out. And then you whatever number you roll after that, mm -hmm. you you go. But there's four other people. Four, right. four other I know colors. I've clicked that little thing a lot. Yeah. I've clicked that thing a lot more than I've ever played the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, it's basically like sorry, but less. But there, it's not a game of skill. It is really a game of dumb luck. Mm -hmm. When that thing says it's going to be sick, there's no like secret way to click it to make it work. Uh, but we play it a lot at the house. And... Me and Remy are the competitive two. Reed is a little bit, he has a little bit of that in me, but, or in him, but it's really Remy is more of the me out of my two children and just competitive gloaters. And when we're winning, everyone knows we're winning. And when we're losing, everyone knows we're losing. <laughs> uh, but I've now as a almost 40 year old man have worked through a lot of these things and understand that if I'm playing trouble with just my kids and my wife, it's not a competition. I'm just doing it because I want to spend time with them. My almost 10-year-old daughter still hasn't reached that level of maturity in life. And it's very hard to teach her that because it's basically looking at a mirror. But one day, one game we were playing and I was just taking them all out. And I had all my characters out, all four of them. And they were really close to like getting back in. And I was just really close to winning. And I was like laughing if I knocked someone else and made them go back to the little uh, beginning start point And like just really giving everyone what we would call the business. And then within moments, 
Justine gets a character out and then takes one of my guys out. Remy takes my guy out. Reed takes a guy out. And then, like, Reed does it again. And now all four of my, instead of, like, where I was so close to being done with the game, are back to start point. I was like, you were in trouble. Yeah, I was in trouble. That's the one reason. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, it is, to me, it's, it was a perfect example of pride came and then the fall. And then I sat there like, and I couldn't get a six again after that. I didn't win. But it's interesting what pride can do to you. Yeah, when you're just saying what pride can do to us. And I think it just puts blinders on our eyes. Like the yeah. way that we view the world around us, the way that we view the relationships around us, even within a game with your family, right? All of a sudden, just the way that you're looking at things can just be shaded differently. And things that become important to you uh, is because they're about you and they're about you moving forward. And things that maybe should be important to you, like how you're saying, what's the important thing for you now? Having fun with your family mm-hmm. and spending that time. So now you're able to elevate that up to the top. And... uh Maybe if you were in that really prideful moment, you wouldn't really care if they were having a good time. Yeah. Man, they're just horrible at this game of luck. Look at how amazing <laughs> you are. But we, we see that in life of just, I don't know, pride within yeah, relationships, pride within business, pride within anything to where are we really looking out for other people? Are we looking out for ourselves? Mm-hmm. And what are we finding important? I think that pride finds me important and other people less important. I can see that you're looking up something, but maybe you can come back to this point if that was a point that you're having. We've talked a couple of times about pride coming before the fall and verses nine, sorry, verses five through nine, at least. And it keeps going off over there. It's like, hey, somebody came to rob you. They'd only take what they wanted. Or if people were in your field, they'd still leave some stuff. But the destruction coming on you is just complete. I know you talked about pride being uprooted in your life. I can think of a couple of times in my life where pride really, really welled up and the destruction that came to me like on a really personal internal level that just had to wipe out all that stuff i feel like my soul was edom you know mm. and god was coming in with this judgment like 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 we're saying the day of the lord and, and judgment is god coming in to set the thing right and man he came through and he cleaned out house all of the treasures that i built up for myself and all the ways that i thought that i was so great and all the ways like all that stuff and it was devastating needed much better and grateful for coming out on the other side of it but that day of reckoning to where like all right cool look at this is what comes with your pride yeah like that that's it's a hard but needed experience i think what's even harder is if you don't submit to that and you just keep trying to build back up on your pride afterwards Mm -hmm. that's an even harder thing i I like what you're saying what pride does it puts up the blinders Mm -hmm. and Instantly, when you said that, I was also thinking of like it isolates. Yeah. It isolates you. It does segregate you from everyone else because you kind of do that. You you put yourself on a pedestal on a mountain alone because if no one can be as good as you or obtain the things that you have, then you are just by yourself. And I just think about what Chris said uh, about pastors mm-hmm. uh, and just as Christians in general, that we only fall off of the platforms we create. When he was talking about pastors who kind of fall from uh, the Timothy book, I really thought like, yeah, you know, that's a platform that I created. I I put myself on that pedestal and I will fall off of the pedestal that I created. And it happens over and over again. And I think where I was going with was Philippians 2. Mm -hmm. And I think the simple answer to a lot of this, how do I combat the pride in my life is found there in 2, 3. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And what follows after that is then the attitude should be the same as Christ. And it talks about how he came down from heaven and submitted himself to God's will, all for the sake of others, all for the sake of you and me. But I really feel like that has been the verse that helped me the most is do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing for your own personal gain. Look to other people's interests above yours. How can I help this person? How can I make this person have a better experience around me? Uh, And I feel like that's been a good tool that's helped me more with my pride than anything else. Yeah. I think another thing for talking tools is if you're somebody who feels like, hey, pride might be a thing, or even if you're thinking, well, I'm not sure if it'll be a thing, but why not check? Ask people around you Mm -hmm. and be open to receiving what they're saying. Not that everything in it needs to be true, but with the acknowledgement that, hey, there's probably going to be at least some truth that I should consider in what people are saying. But then to take on the thing of being quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger and really taking that on of just like, hey, if I'm trying to get away from this pride thing, let me hear from other people what they see in me. Because pride, how we're talking about putting on blinders, I think it blinds me to me. You know, I'm not even realizing who I am and what that looks like. And I think that, again, if you're open to that, and that brings in that level of humility, you're putting humility into practice, which is what you were just saying from Philippians too, is humbling yourself. I think that going to other people is another tool in that, that go to some trusted people and and see what that is. And we were talking about this off the air, but I think that there's a difference when we're talking about this for if you are a Christian or you're not a Christian. To an extent, nobody really likes a prideful person, but if you're not a Christian, then like, what's holding you to not being a prideful person? Like, I want you to find who Jesus is and see that he's humble and submit yourself and accept the gospel and everything. But if you've already done that, then you have a responsibility to be dying to the pride. And that's a different thing that when we're looking at this thing of pride, we need to take it seriously. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, well, maybe or maybe I'll get to it or whatever. It's like, no, God opposes it. Mm -hmm. You got to do something with it. I like that. Let's go to the break, and then when we come back, we're going to try tackling reaping what you sow, or I remembered what it was you said, uh, God acting upon injustice, in a sense. Yeah, there you go. Sounds about right. And then loving your enemies. Hey, it's Obi, owner and head mechanic of the Paraclete Body Shop, the body shop that helps your spirit when it ain't running right. We tackle all the issues of the spirit from simple tune-ups to a full-on spiritual restoration. Does your high position or status cause your pride to leak? We can help plug that with some good old-fashioned humility. Is a hard heart causing a cling-clang noise in your life? We'll stop on by and we'll get that heart tuned into forgiveness. What about jealousy? That can make your life overheat. We've got you covered. We specialize in making sure your spirit is in alignment with God, therefore making you holy. We are located on the corner of You Need This More Than You Think Boulevard, adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill and the Anger Emporium. So, when you have that gut feeling that your spirit isn't running right, stop by the Paraclete Body Shop. So now we get into verse 10 and 15 of OB1. Just stop. His name's Obadiah. Obadiah. Because of your violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be destroyed forever. On that day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother 
in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroad to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of the trouble. And then we got verse 15 says, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. And then that gets into another little thing. But looking at this, and I I instantly wrote this down when I read it probably last year sometime when I was going through the minor prophets in my own reading. And I have this, it's a little side note in my Bible that says, how not to treat your enemies. Mm -hmm. And it's just crazy when you look at this, that like they basically watch someone get taken advantage of, have everything that they had taken from them and just stood there. And like we talked about last week, there was like a progression, right? It was like we stood there, we came down and made fun of everyone, and then eventually we participated in it ourselves. And it's like, this is how you don't treat someone you don't like. Like, this is how not to do it. It is by like you were talking about earlier, the world standards of like, yeah, go ahead, gloat over your enemies, make fun of them, even take what they have. That's Mm -hmm. fine. But here, like, it's just... It's not good for them. And where it started off, verse 10 is, you will forever be destroyed. Why? Because you watched your own brothers just get ransacked and, and just let it happen. Going back to brothers, literally, as we talked last time, you know, come from the same family tree yeah. w- with that stuff. Yeah. How not to treat your enemies. I can see it from that perspective. Definitely. How not to treat your enemies. But for me, it also just comes into the integrity of a righteous person. Like, this isn't how someone who's righteous behaves. Mm -hmm. And that's why judgment is coming on them. They didn't behave righteously in the thing. So those two things are are married in my mind. I see them coming together. It's like, a righteous person doesn't treat their enemy that way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense to you. That's kind of what came into my mind. It's putting point two and three together. Really, when we're looking at this, God brings justice on those who are unrighteous and not how to treat your enemies is it's kind of marrying them together in the idea that, yeah, this isn't how someone will act. So God's judgment is going to be on them for this behavior. Kind of like we were talking about pride and the story you shared about yourself is God had to do some stuff in you because what was working in there wasn't good for you. And in order to remove that, there had to be the fall and everything. So in the same sense, it's the same thing here uh, with them. But just like, yeah, they, they viewed their suffering as a gain instead of time of grieving. They gloated over the destruction. They didn't prevent what happened. And it really just kind of reminded me of a similar situation to the Good Samaritan story. Jesus is telling the story of a Good Samaritan where a guy was like walking down the road and then some bandits or robbers came, beat him up, took everything and left him there. And then a priest came walking out. And I just always imagine Jesus telling the story and like the people gasping, right? Like, so there's this man walking down the road. And these bandits come and they beat him up and take everything and leave him there almost for dead. And the audience is going, oh, no. And then uh, he says, but then a priest walked by and kind of giving it a pause and like them going, yeah, woo, a priest. And then he follows it up with and he just kept going. And they're like, wait, what? And then he says, oh, but then a Levite, he walks by. And then the cheers come back again because like Levi, yeah, these are the holy priest people of the tribe. Then he says, and then he does nothing and keeps walking by. And they're like, what? Like that confusion again? And then he says, then a Samaritan walked by. And he could hear, boo, not the Samaritans, right? Because that was their enemy. And he says, he bandaged him up and he helped him. And then that shock on their face of hearing the story that this Samaritan, who was looked at as their enemy, helped someone 
who viewed him as an enemy and took care of him and even paid for his recovery afterwards. And it's, 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 a, it's an amazing story. And it all starts off with the Pharisee asking this question, who is my neighbor then? When Jesus, he asked Jesus, like, what is the law? Which one? Jesus says, here are the ones you should follow. And then he asked him, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gets into the story about the Good Samaritan. And what I always found interesting is Jesus never answers the question, who is my neighbor? He tells a story, but he never says who exactly is a neighbor. And I think it's because if we cap off who our neighbors are, we're not going to love everybody. Well, he finishes off saying, all right, well, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? And then the guy said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus like, all right, then you go do the same. And he leaves it just so vague, like, who is your neighor? Anyone. Yeah, I could almost see, obviously, this is reading into it. But mm-hmm. just the way that Jesus tended to make points is almost like, cool, there's a crowd. He knows that the Samaritan is chilling right over here. And he knows how everyone is. And just like, and here's an expert of the law. So it's like, I wonder if there is also a priest and a Levite here. Mm. I just wonder if he's telling the story and he kind of looks. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then that day, the Samaritan walked away kind of in a good spot rather than everyone hating him because everyone's like hmm maybe this enemy isn't quite so bad it might even be my neighbor he might even be my neighbor he might even be the person who looks after me when no one else does and that's kind of again when i look at this it's just like the edomites did not help their neighbor they they it's not the right way to treat someone who's in need right and looking at that psalm 137 verse 7 Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. And then Amos 1, 11, which I referenced earlier, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Edom, even four, I will not relent, because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land, because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. So just looking at those as responses, it's just like, man, there's these people getting torn down. You're like, yeah, tear it down, tear it down the end. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about that progression. People are trying to flee and you're like, you're chasing them down. That's really brutal. What it makes me think about, and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit more after this, is that whole section about Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount that we already covered in season one. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to that episode. I thought it was a fantastic one. But the progression of disliking somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's, this is like almost a model of it. From a distance, you'll dislike somebody and you'll be angry at them. And then as the, the dislike turns into maybe, what's next, hate, you'll go down there and you'll, you know, knock down and destroy things that are theirs. And then eventually it turns into this rage monster that will actually slaughter and take lives. And it's almost like this progression of if you don't check how you treat your enemies at the beginning, you're going to, you know, maybe not necessarily physically murder them. But what did Jesus say again on the Sermon on the Mount? If you call your, your brother an idiot or a fool, you've created murder in your heart. But it's the progression of it, it. It intensifies the anger, resentment, or whatever feeling it is. And we talked about it, too, that Edom could have had a chip on their shoulder. That, you know, because the Israelites were God's chosen people, both brothers who came yeah. from the same Esau line, was born first. Esau was born first. Esau should have got the blessing. But instead, it went, to, it went to Jacob, and he got the blessing that there could have still been this long-running bitterness. And, and we, we tracked their whole history in the last episode. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that. But the nature of just not liking somebody because of a historical past, like it, it, it escalated. And I think we see that a lot, even in today's society, this rise in how I treat somebody because of how I view them. 
But first off, that was a good episode. You said a lot of good stuff. People should go listen to all, <laughs> go listen to that episode for all those good things you said. No, that was a good conversation. I, I like that. But yeah, looking at this, again, to take the principle of it and take it out, which you were doing there, is now what does that look like once you start to not like somebody? Mm-hmm. And then how is that progressing? And how are you treating that person? And you can see it in the really small ways. And I know it's an example that we probably bring up kind of frequently on the show of just someone cuts you off. How happy are you when they get cut off (laughs) or when you can cut them off or, you know, whatever the thing is, just like those little things of just like wanting to see the person who stood against you, like, right, it's get what's coming to them and or even for you to be able to take from them or whatever the thing is. And we can see that on the freeway. We can also see that. In like the grander scale of things, I know that there's some political talk about different classes of people or who's ruling what or who's oppressing who. And man, if those really rich people, like if something can happen to them to where like they lose out on their money or like something befalls them and it's like, ah, like dessert, and we start gloating, right? Because mm-hmm. we set ourselves up in the judgment place against them. Or maybe it's on a moral issue. Uh, we were talking about abortion before the show started. And just like, how do you approach people who um, have had or are considering having an abortion? Like, to what level are you standing against them? Like, are you standing for them? Are you trying to help them make a good decision? Are you standing there and gloating over them? If they have had an abortion, are you putting them down because of that? If they're trying to figure out something to do with their life, like this idea of like trying to escape the destruction, people have hard lives and you end up right. Like, obviously, there's some level of involvement in that, right? But trying to figure out a way to do and then you can have people just coming in and like a crazy like no no way of escape for you we're trying like you know gets to clarify that i am against abortion but i'm also for loving the woman and also loving the child but just the way that you can surround that Mm -hmm. and the ways that you can make enemies of people ways you can make enemies of people that you work with because man that guy's trying to climb the ladder he's not a christian he's doing whatever whatever like throwing you under the bus in different situations and I don't know. There's just so many areas to where we can make enemies. And then there's actual, you jump up to the national level of, hmm, name a country that might be an enemy of the country that you reside in. Mm -hmm. Well, if a war is coming, you want them to lose for sure. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know, just all the different stuff of, I guess, to bring that to the main point as a Christian, how are you supposed to respond to people in any situation? And it's come up several times for me over the past couple of weeks is the verse where God causes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust, and he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, and just the impartiality of God in ways. And that for us to love, hey, a, a tax collector loves his friends. Like, if you're only loving your friends, what good are you doing? Even people who don't believe in God love their own friends. But as Christians, we're supposed to go beyond that and to pray for those who persecute you and to bless them and offer them something to eat and something to drink. So I don't know. I know that was kind of a long rambling thing, but I think that as we're looking at enemies in our life, it can look very different depending on how you're relating to people. And even when you said that anger in your heart towards somebody, it's you're making them an enemy, but our response is like, die to that, put that aside. And I think that what makes that easier is just like, hey, guess what? I'm a sinner who screws up too. I've done plenty of bad things to plenty of people on purpose and on accident. I've been ignorant and I've been purposefully wicked. I need forgiveness. I've needed to receive that. I've needed love. I've needed somebody to come with correction. I've needed comfort. All those things just like be what people need. I think what's fascinating too is that how an enemy becomes an enemy 
a lot of times is just because they don't agree with what I see or what I think. I mean, you were talking about a lot of hot button political things going on there. And yeah, man, the last few years, there's just been such a divide among people. And it's like almost purposely trying to divide people, right? And who does that sound like? Our enemy. He is purposely trying to divide us mm -hmm. to see this person as the enemy. Because if they're the enemy, I don't love them. I don't show them grace. Right. I don't show them the things that I'm supposed to. And it's, it's so funny that you could just see people fuming online and, and in, in real life now, like mm -hmm. protesting. If you look at it, what's going on, especially, yeah, we talked about the abortion thing. If you look at what's happening in a lot of cities with the protesting, it's people just spewing hatred towards each other. But there is no grace. There is no love. And it's like, as a church, how do we handle this? It's simple. We love God and we love others. That's the mission. That's the call. So if I love God, I no longer see his creation as my enemy. I see it for what it is, a flawed person. It's, it's like what Paul says, and I read this somewhere. I don't remember where the quote came from, but it was like, the gospel doesn't become real to you until you understand it the way Paul did, where you are the chief sinner. And that's when you can like start loving other people because you see yourself correct. You know, you eliminate the pride. You see yourself for what you are, knowing that you need God's grace and love. And because you need God's grace and love, you should then see that other people need God's grace and love. So how do we combat these things? And, and I'm glad you brought up the Sermon on the Mount part of loving your enemies. Because, yeah, Jesus gives a clear answer. How do you love your enemies? Pray for them. And we talked about this, I think, uh, I don't know if we said it on the podcast or if I said it in the message going over the Sermon on the Mount on that part, but it is one of the reasons why we pray is to take the poison out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's to take that hatred, that anger, that resentment that I've built up out of myself. And, and so that way I can actually view these people correctly and see them the way that God wants me to see them with love and, and his grace. But it is crazy that we will create an enemy out of somebody on an opinion or a thought. And just because there's a disagreeance, just because they don't see it my way, oh, now you're my enemy. And you brought up other examples, climbing the corporate ladder. Uh, I want to get there before so-and-so does. They're doing all this shady stuff to backstab me. But you know what? So they're going to that level. What usually then happens is I go to this level. And the portion before on the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, uh, verse 38, is that eye for an eye. So before even Jesus gets into like, how do you love your enemies? He talks about the eye for an eye thing, right? And the reason he brings that up, it was a law given so that you couldn't go beyond the damage done to you. Yeah. So like if someone killed your ox, then you kill their ox and it's washed. And really what it is, it's making sure you don't go crazy and they kill right. your ox and you wipe out their whole field. Exactly. Because everything. that's what I want to do. Yeah. You, if you offend me, dude, I'm the flesh part of me again that, that comes up is just like, man, I want to come after you. Like, how dare you? I'll show you. And it's turning and letting God be the judge mm -hmm. and letting his justice rule. I mean, how gracious would it be if you saw someone say something that you didn't agree with and you just turned the cheek to it? You know, like, okay, cool. You don't, you don't agree with that way. The crazier part to me is just as Christians that we just kind of sometimes see enemies of non-believers instead of seeing them as the people we're trying to help and save. That because they're so lost in their immorality, and they are evil. Like the, the whole thing is when an evil man does this. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in that portion. And an evil man is like, basically, Jesus isn't like saying that the man's not evil. 
He's like, what did you expect from someone who's not under my love or hasn't found my grace? Like they are just going to operate in the way that they know in the world society. We talked about this a lot, that you're either a child of, of God or you're a child of wrath. And if you're not a child of God, you're going to be a child of wrath and act like that. So as Christians, why do we expect any different from them? But yeah, I, I think the big thing here is like, if, if we looked at the Edomites, how not to treat your enemies, or this is what happens when you treat your enemies wrong, mm-hmm. the correct way to go in about it is always prayer. I, obviously, there's other things, but I think you start praying before you do anything else. Yeah, just when we're looking at the approach and just, again, as Christians, even towards uh, non-Christians, unbelievers, whatever word you want to use. Uh, it makes me think of Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, 8, where just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Mm-hmm. That was Christ's approach for ungodly, is that he died. Verse 7, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, right? Like, that's a good man. Secret service trying to jump in front of, like, you know, very rarely does someone die in place of a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Right? But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. So, still sinners, still enemies towards God, still people who were ignorant, willingly, whatever, opposed to in our actions and in our thoughts, is that Christ died for us. So, when we're looking at how do you approach an enemy, it's that and, and as I, opposed to the natural response that we've been talking about. It, it is that loving them like how God loved them. And like, it's really hard. And I'm not going to sit here like I'm sitting on some high horse thing that I love all the people that ever did me wrong or cut me off on the freeway. It is a difficult thing. But when, when the call is, and I, and I was thinking about this the other day, denying yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Uh, that pick up your cross thing, it's not like a one-time deal. It's like once you pick up the cross. You got to keep carrying. <laughs> you've got to keep carrying it. And if you do set it down because, you know, we do make mistakes and sin, you've got to pick up the cross again. All that comes into the idea of just love and praying for people, like picking up a cross that wasn't the crucifixion or death point yet, but that was leading towards the dying to myself, that the more I carry the crosses, the more I'm working on dying to myself and eliminating that enemy inside of me that we've talked about. We're our greatest enemy, that enemy inside of me that just wants to see someone lose everything have their life become a wreck just because they didn't treat me right. Like, man, really, what kind of person are you that you want to see someone go through suffering? There's that saying, right? The, when something bad happens to someone, they're like, man, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I've heard that a lot growing up. But there are people out there that have that heart, and they would, and it's crazy. And you really just got to check yourself, especially if you're a follower of Christ, man. You, there should be no way you wish anything wrong to happen to someone you want everyone to know the fullness of god's love and grace i do want to get to the third point but just within this point there is also something different happening that this is on a much wider scale right this isn't god coming in with judgment against a single person and i think that how we interact as a group the whole mob mentality is a real thing cool there's there's the edomites on the outside and like somebody starts saying man we should go in like for whatever and it's just like to be able to stand against what the crowd is doing and stand for what's right, because that's how it happens, right? Somebody has the idea to go into the city, and then other people follow that. Mm-hmm. I was like, but what side are you going to be on in that? Because in a lot of things, yes, we have our personal responsibility, but we're also part of a society and a culture and a community. 
So I think that we see that in play as well in a lot of these different spheres as far as like which one of these stages is the culture around you interacting? Are they full on stopping people from running away from destruction? Are they in looting? Are they in gloating? Are they just praising the enemy for coming in? Are you standing on the like outside of the gates? Whatever those things are. And just what's your response to that? If everyone's quote unquote looting, like, hey, we need to make restorations and put these things back and help these people instead. And, you know, maybe let the listener extrapolate what that could mean. Ponder on that, meditate on that in these different <laughs> areas. But what's the third point for so that we can finish out over I think that was the third point. We had uh, God's justice. We talked about pride. And then loving your enemies. So I think we kind of tied the two together. I wasn't thinking loving your enemies was the third one. Yeah, that was your third. That was our two and three. We kind of combined. Uh, There's one thing I I just want to add to this too. What I really like from Obadiah is that it shows us that we can trust God to bring justice and right our wrongs. Even when the people close to us as relatives turn to be our enemies. Um, The other thing is Obadiah also shows us that we should love and forgive all regardless of racial, ethnic, or religious boundaries. And then Obadiah demonstrates that we can rest in God at all the times, knowing that he will enact his justice in his way and in his time. Because there is judgment, and there is a judgment on Edom that gets like, they're going to get wiped out, right? And within, I think, I want to say within the five years of that, Edom does fall to Babylon, and there is no Edom today. So God's justice does come through. He does create that and and that is kind of going to the second point of you you do eventually reap what you sow if you are living and constantly in this flesh and in this sin and operating in that way you know there are there are plenty of verses out there and the one that comes to mind god just gives you over to your sinful nature and he just kind of lets you ride out that thing that you're doing because your heart is like basically like a pharaoh it's too hard it's hard when we're sitting here having a conversation then you say something that just makes me go inward and start thinking about (laughs) stuff (laughs) it's just like Come on, man, we're on the clock. You can't sit here and, and, and do all that right now. Think about it later. Yeah, I think that for me, kind of closing it out, is this the very last lines of the book is that, and the kingdom will belong to the Lord. And I know that you highlighted that in the last episode, but really looking at this with the day of the Lord coming on all the nations, but saying, you know, but Judah and Mount Zion, there will be deliverance there. And just really looking at for God's people. And I think that today's conversations what can happen is when everything's about religion and doing this and doing that and it's just like look the people who are standing with this god who we've talked about from joel the one that's compassionate long-suffering was it long-suffering and slow to anger and Mm -hmm. all those things um but will stand up and do right and judge against evil for everything that we've talked about in this episode of being a person who follows jesus is to be a loving, compassionate person with integrity who does what's right but follows through and, you know, keeps all of those things lined up to as much as we can, even even where we stumble, you know, we try and get back on it, is that it's not some religious talk about like, oh, well, God's people and this and that. It's like for those of us who see our sinfulness, who want to turn away from our sinfulness and live a holy life and live a loving life and follow after God, what we see repeatedly is, man, the day of the Lord, judgment coming on all the nations. And like you said, God's judgment will come in his time and in his way, but we can trust him for it, is that this world isn't all that there is. This life, I'm going to die at some point. I don't know when that'll be. It could be this week. It could be in 50 years. Like, I really don't know. But I know the promise of the gospel is everlasting life to be with him. And just when we're looking at the kingdom belonging to the Lord, 
man, we're talking about how do you care for your enemies. And as far as I can see is that there is an open invitation to God's enemies to turn away from wicked kings and wicked rulers and wicked ways and come into his kingdom. It says that this kingdom will belong to the Lord. This kingdom that overtakes everything in the world is the kingdom that will last forever. It was an open invitation to me when I was an mm-hmm. enemy. Somebody came and was like, man, you got to get things right. Like, look at where you're living. Who taught you to live this way? Look at what it's leading to. Can I tell you about like the goodness of God and what he has for you? Turn in this way. And it's like, man, God just let me come into his kingdom. It was a gift, right? He's <laughs> just like, yeah, come on in. If you want this, I'll give it to you. And that for us to look at the world around us is that that is the mission that we currently have. Mm-hmm. It's not some like religious thing and all of these arguments and all these different things, all these political things that we're talking about. It's just like it really is. We have a good God and he's open invitation into his kingdom. I really think about it as like how you act. Is it bringing people to know God? Or is it pushing them further away? And when we treat people like our enemies who aren't, we're pushing them further away from God. Uh, when we treat them with love, we are letting them know who God is. Like you, the Old Testament is just filled with, and you will know who I am. Mm-hmm. You will know, I've, I'm doing this so they will know that I am God. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, I am God. And it's like, now you guys know Go tell other people that this is out there, like you're saying, inviting people in. And that's everybody, your enemies and, and the people that you, don't, that you look down on in your pride. Bring them all in because this is about bringing restoration and bringing the family back. That last verse, and the kingdom will be the Lord's, like in the midst of all of this kind of brother against brother and, and judgment coming against them, that at the end of it is the beauty that the kingdom will be God's. Like, it will be God's. The kingdom is the Lord's. It's a, to me, it's just such a cool way to end it because it is just saying, like, eventually all that stuff is going to just be washed out and it'll be what God wants it again. Right, and that just made me think that point that you brought up, and we didn't really didn't talk about it, but when you're talking about the enemy coming in mm-hmm. with divisions, so you're going to kill, still, and destroy, and divide, and, you know, do that whole thing, is that that enemy gets conquered. And I think that if we really take that on as, like, God's thing, Jesus' prayer, right, right before he went to the cross, was that we would be united, that we would be united in love, that we would love one another, like the Father loves him, and, like, he loves us, right? And to just really have that, And taking that mindset on and just really looking at, yeah, it's one kingdom. We're all being invited into it with that in mind. And any division and any kind of like enemies coming in that would be coming against us, like, yeah, that's enemies towards God. We're not fighting wars against flesh and blood. We should really be seeking to have peace within God's kingdom. Yeah, I I like that you said that that they're enemies towards God. So if they're God's enemies, then God's going to do what he needs to do to change that. So, like, what do we do on our side? We pray. We line up. That's our battle, right? Is we start praying for these people, praying for everybody, praying for people we like and we don't like. Just pray. Pray for everybody all the time. And like you said earlier that the viewpoint is God bringing them, wants to bring them back in while they were still enemies, while we were still enemies, he brought us in. So if we leave them out there as they're God's enemies, we'll let God's justice come in and sweep them. And hopefully it's a sweep that will sweep them into the family and no longer make them enemies, but make them a part of what we're doing here. But yeah, this is the shortest book in the Old Testament. That's the shortest book in the whole Bible. Shortest book in the whole Bible. But it's just jam-packed with all of this stuff of back and forth of how, how do we respond when someone that we love mistreats us? How do we respond 
when we see someone that we just don't like in a vulnerable position? Do we act like the Edomites? What do we do? And at the end of the day, it's like the kingdom is God's. So let's act like the kingdom is God's. Let's live like the kingdom is God's and do what he wants us to do. Love him and love other people. I feel like I sometimes, I may simplify what being a follower of Christ is to like just that simple term over and over again. But I kind of feel like it just encompasses everything. If I love God, then I truly know who he is. I want other people to know this. And it's not going to be me standing with a picket sign in front of their face telling them what they did is wrong and I need to shame them. Because, yeah, like we were talking about abortion. Like there are so many women who've done it. And even men on the other side who've been a part of it and, and maybe helped pay for everything. And now they're living with that shame. Now there's probably some who just went on with their life and they just could care less. Okay, that's fine. Again, I'm not expecting evil to function in the way, of, uh, the way Christ would. But there are some people living with shame. And if all we're doing is badgering them and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, what you're doing is evil, how is that bringing them to know God? There's no way they're going to want to know who your God is if you're constantly telling people you're evil. I get there is a thing of saying you need to repent and because we're all evil, but making sure that the statement isn't you're evil, we're all, we're all under condemnation. We were all part of that gang. Right, and I think that that's John 3, 16, 17, 18, mm-hmm. right? Or like, God so loved the world, he sent his only son. But Jesus didn't come to condemn anyone because we all stand condemned. Yeah. The invitation of Jesus was like, hey, you know where you're at? I want you to come into what I got. Like, yeah, I lived in shame too. And like the offer to me was come out of shame. Let me cleanse you of that. Let me give you a clean conscience. We were talking about this at our, on Sunday night at a, in a group discussion about loving your enemies and stuff. Well, it was really chapter five of Matthew, but our, our conversation got stuck on that. And I've always said, you know, I, I definitely have thoughts and, and I think of things some ways, somehow when it comes to everything that's happening in our country, especially the last few years, but no one really doesn't know them. There's a few people who I will spew out the venom that's inside of me that I just need to get out. But you'll never look at my social media and see where I stand on anything. And and that's purposeful because I just want you to know that I love God. And if I can just show you that I'm a man who loves God and is just trying to do his best in this world, my hope is that you could see that and say, like, there might be something more to loving God than just kind of religious religiosity and going to church, that it's bigger than that. And that no matter what circumstance I'm going through in life, because I love God, what else do I need? I think that, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here and be prideful, but I really think that like, man, if we could just stop some of the way we're treating people and what we're standing for, just stand for God's love and embrace the hurt and the broken people of this world, that we wouldn't see a nation change, but we would see changes in people's lives. I think that's more important. I may be wrong. I could be totally wrong. But I think changing a person is more important than changing a nation. Um, I think it accomplishes it. It's the domino. But I think maybe let's start smaller before we attack political things and all this stuff. Let's start with our neighbor. And I love them. Who's your neighbor? That guy over there who's hurting. And that guy over there that you don't like. What do I do for them? Go care for them. Like, I love that Good Samaritan story because Jesus is very vague but also very clear and direct. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you're saying. Yes, you do. You just don't want to do it. You just don't want to love that guy you don't like. You just don't want to love that person who seems to be hurting or in a lower spot than you. The flesh part of you that used to not know any better wants to. What God yeah. and his spirit is leading you to is something different. 
Thank you for saying that because I don't want to seem like I'm casting judgment on everyone. Yeah, no, world. it's again we we all deal with the flesh, but we all well, if you receive the spirit, then walk by the spirit. My last thing on this book is just looking at how I was saying last week. I feel like we did a really good job on the study side and just really bringing out the on the study side. Looking at this conversation, yeah, we kind of touch pointed into some of these verses, but I feel like most of the conversation not really like, oh man, Edom specifically, like we just went off on a tangent. But for me, that's what Bible study is. Like know what it is in the context mm-hmm. that you can understand it correctly, but then meditate on it, chew on it, try and get out from it. Ask God in prayer, how does this relate to me? What am I struggling? You know, am I the Edomites in this situation? Oh, what is your judgment? What is this day of the Lord? You know, all of these things. And when you chew on it and bring it into your personal life and the people around you in the day that you live, I think that kind of that's where I like the two episode thing that we have going on, Mm -hmm. because that's really how I read my Bible is like, I want to read it and study it. And each time I go through, you're getting a little bit deeper in, you know, understanding of things. But then when you come to the other side of it, of just kind of holding it up like a mirror and seeing who am I even if this is, you know, the word of God, who am I and what does this look like? And again, depending on stage of life different things pop out. I really like that you brought that up too, because one thing that I really like is that learning to interpret scripture through scripture. And a lot of what we're doing is like, we're looking at Obadiah and we're saying like, here's verses 10 through 15. Oh, but remember what Jesus said over here in Matthew chapter five, or what's happened in Luke 10, or then what you mentioned in Romans. And then you, you also cross-reference Psalms. And we've, we've brought a lot of scripture into the conversation. And, and I think the healthy way to study your Bible and then to apply it to yourself is by the Bible and through the Bible. Like if you're trying to like do it through any other means, it's not going to make sense to you. And I think the best way to interpret scripture is through scripture. But yeah, that's all I got for this episode. I mean, I had a few more things, but uh, apparently they didn't make it on this episode and I'll have to backtrack them on to another one. <laughs> yeah, maybe an Amos Mike. Remember we brought up Amos and Obadiah? Well, I'm going to bring up Obadiah and Amos. Yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> I mean, there's the Day of the Lord thing that I've got here, but I've, I've saved a few notes on that since we're constantly going through it. I'll throw this one out there for the Day of the Lord just as a bonus thing before we wrap up. Always think of it as already, but not yet. And I think that helps when you start looking into the concept. They're all connected. The Day of the Lord stuff is connected. Uh, and I think it's Heiser who says it a lot is it's already, but not yet. A-B-N-Y. A-B-N-Y. We should make a shirt for that. Abney. Abney. (laughs) All right, let's wrap up. I am Chris. I'm Yildur. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Abaka. Nahum. Obadiah. Jude. Philemon. Haggai. Amen.